just worship you today. We just love you. Father, speak to us from your word. Please take your seats. We've been studying the book of John, uh, the first letter of John, and our message series is called Unashamed. We want to live unashamed, confident lives in God. We want to be able to stand and say, I'm unashamed of being a Christian. I'm going to be reading in a few moments from the first uh, few verses in 1 John chapter 1 from verse 5. But I don't know about you. In life, there needs to be what I'm going to call it a baseline or a center point or a foundation. You know, if, I don't know whether you've noticed this, but if you measure something wrong in the first place, what you produce will become wrong. And those of you who are engineers or those of you who work in trades, you'll say, yeah, we have to have a good baseline or a good starting point. It's like that in cooking. I've been learning cooking in baking. Baking's like a science as well as an art, isn't it? Baking, if you get the ratio of ingredients wrong and the temperature wrong, disaster can happen or what those ingredients might do to another ingredient. You put too much salt in something, it might change the consistency of something else. You need to get your baseline right. The other day, I've been learning cooking, and I've made this wonderful, like a hosin, spicy, treacly, hot, this black sauce, all sticky with honey, and Chinese five spices. Some of you are looking at me and saying, oh, that looks horrible. It was delicious. And I'd fried my chicken, and I'd got the pan, perhaps a little bit too hot, but I'd fried my chicken, and I was supposed to coat the chicken with this lovely sauce. I bet you want to go for lunch right now, don't you? Just hang on for a few more minutes. And I put it in there, and obviously the pan was too hot. I poured it on. I was thinking, oh, this is great. I thought, well, I'll give it a little shake. I gave it a shake. It went up in flames. It went all at the back of the kitchen on the splash bag. It went everywhere. Things were coated with this uh, grease. Now, I call it flambéing, which is a technical term. Other people call it just setting the place on fire. But, but people have told me, I said, oh, the sauce got caramelized. Well, people have told me that caramelizing a sauce is a lot different than what I did because my sauce was a black crust over everywhere that I had to then snap off and scrape off the chicken. In fact, I ended up having to throw it away. You're such a hard crowd, as if you've never made any mistakes on cooking. You have to get the baseline right, otherwise the rest can go wrong. It's like that in budgeting, isn't it? If you've ever tried to budget for something, what we tell you, you know, it's no use, no matter how painful that, that initial, well, this is how much money we've got, or this is what this will cost. How, how painful that is, you need to draw that bottom line figure so you know how you can actually get there. There's a famous saying, if you know it, say it with me. Measure once, oh, sorry, measure twice. <laughs> measure twice. Okay, there's like people who are in the nine o'clock service. That's obviously not a famous saying, is it? Measure twice, cut once. 
You know, I've been reading, I read through the book of Exodus, and it's quite a long, I know there's some highlight moments in it, but it's quite a laborious book about how you're supposed to, you know, if you've got a tent pole, it's supposed to be 12 feet long. Don't make it 10 feet long, make it 12 feet long. And it says that over and over again of how you're supposed to make sure that the measurements that God gave you, Moses, that on that mountain, that you translate them them down to actually what happened and I think what God was doing was saying can I trust you to have some baseline obedience can I say some specific things to you and you stick to those specific things human relationships can be quite complicated can't they I don't know about you but have you ever said this to someone where do I stand with you Have you said that to someone? I don't know where I stand with you. Perhaps you've said that at work to perhaps some of your employers or perhaps in a relationship. You say, I just don't know where I stand with that person. In all areas of life, we need a baseline. We need a foundation. We need a starting point. We need a reference point. We need something to say, well, let me start from there. And that's what John is doing In these next few verses, he's going to draw out a baseline of what God is like and how to refer to him. Would you read along with me from verse 5 from chapter 1? And this is God's baseline for how you can relate to him. This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. And in him... There is no darkness at all. God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in darkness, we lie. And do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus purifies us. From all of our sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. He will forgive us all from us, from all unrighteousness. He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar and His word is not in us. Going into chapter 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. What John is doing here is creating a fundamental understanding of God and a baseline that does not move so that you know how you can relate to him. And actually, as we move on in our faith, this baseline or this foundation does not change so that if you want to and you need to and you will need to, you can come back to him as that. In a few moments... I'm going to ask you to stand at the end of this message and renew your hearts to this foundation. I'm going to ask you to come back to that center 
and renew the baseline in your hearts. You see, we have to understand that God is the center and the foundation, and we have to move to what He is like. Instead of making God what we want Him to be like, we have to move towards what He is like. It's that God made us in his image. And unfortunately, we try and make God in our image. We try and make him to be what we want him to be like. Instead of relaxing and enjoying and knowing that what he is like is going to be great for us. There may be some stretch, there may be some lessons, there may be some discipline, but it's going to be great for us if we will move towards what he is like. Can I hear an amen, church? You know what? The baseline is this. Look at verse 5 with me. This is the message that we have heard and we've declared to you from the beginning. God is light. And in him, there's no darkness at all. Now, God is light means that he illuminates the path that you are on and he can give you direction. He will give you illumination, or we could say he can give you revelation. God is light means that he can show you things about himself and show you the way that you need to go. Because he's light. In John's gospel, Jesus said this in chapter 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Do you feel that things are a little bit dark in your life right now? Do you feel like you need some guidance? Are there some dark places? As you move towards God who is the light, he exposes those things to his love and he can change that dark place. I don't know about you, I would have loved to be part of the the exodus coming out of Egypt, wouldn't you? Just It would have been so exciting walking through the Red Sea and all of that. What it says about the Exodus is this in chapter 12. By the day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud and a guide and and guide them on their way. And at night, it was a pillar of fire to give them light so they could travel by day or by night. Whatever your circumstances, God wants to give you light. He wants to direct you. And so today, if you feel, I haven't got much direction in my life. I want you to come back to God and say, God, illuminate my path. Your baseline is God can direct you. So can I ask you, who's directing you? Who, who, which baseline, which, who, which voice, which center point are you keying your life off? Have you subtly removed God from the center and put something else there as your light, as your guide? Have you said, well, these success principles are my light? You've got to take that off the throne and put God right in the center and say, God, you're my light. Illuminate my life. Bring revelation to me about who you are and what I must do. The second thing about God being light is that it means that He is flawless, He's pure. God defines what is right. He defines righteousness. He defines what is good. If you've got a Bible with me, turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. Because John, uh, 
quoting Jesus, says it really good here. John chapter 3 verse 19 says, this is the verdict. This is what, what is handed down when all is said and done, all the evidence is weighed. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whosoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Here's the foundation. Here's the baseline. Here's the referencing point. Let's allow God to shine his light on everything in our lives. Let's not hide some things and say, you can look at this, you can look at this, but don't come in this corner. Let's lift our attitudes up to him and say, God, is, is this an attitude that you want to shine light on? When we allow God to shine his light on us and bring his presence and his truth and his, his spirit to us, it will bring healing and wholeness. And let's adjust to his light. Let's not try and bend the light to our perspective. Let's not do that. Let's, let's begin to say to ourselves, I will let God define what's good, what's right. Last week, I asked you to have first-hand faith. And what I mean by that is, have a faith that's your own. Work it out yourself. This week, I want to call you to baseline belief. That a foundation in your faith where you do not compromise on some of your starting points. That you say to yourself, this is where I'm starting from. This is what I understand. Jeremiah chapter 6 verse 16, he cried out to Israel and said, this is the word of the Lord, this is what it says, stand at the crossroads and look. And you know, as I was preparing this, I believe that some of you are at a crossroads. You're at a crossroads in your faith, you're at a crossroads in your life, you're at a crossroads in your perception of where you're going. And Jeremiah says, stand at that decision point at that crossroads and ask for the ancient path. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. You will find rest for your souls. The good way may not be the easy way, but you have to go back to your baseline and say, this is me, this is my faith. How are we going to stick to that baseline? When I was young... It was about nine or ten. I don't exactly remember how old I was. I was a very curious boy. I'm still a very curious person. I like to look into things. I don't know about you. I'm sure you are. Uh, and I, I, I was curious about how things worked. And, and one fateful day when I was at school, I asked to go to uh, the loo. And I'm um, sorry to bring you into this illustration. But uh, as I went to the men's bathroom, I thought, how is it that that water comes and washes things without anybody being there? 
Now, without getting too graphic, in a men's loo, sometimes there's like a trough and then there's a pipe and then it all washes down to wash things away. You got the picture, anybody? Ladies, you got the picture? I'm so sorry. And anyway, by, by the way, what is, how come you know what's in a men's loo? You shouldn't be going in there anyway. And then above that pipe that washes down, there's a pipe that goes up to a tank that sits on a stand. And uh, I don't know whether you remember these. There used to be porcelain. Do you remember that, Ian? That's more your day. You know, now, I was curious. I thought, how does this work? How does that water come down? So I decided to climb up and look in that tank. Now, what I didn't know was that tank's not screwed to those to those uh, to that platform so I hung on that plank and it came off falling off water splashing all over me and the porcelain tank splashed all over the toilet floor the pipes everywhere and the water was just gushing out and I went oh and I just went back to my class and carried on with the maths lesson I didn't say a word didn't say a word and then I could hear the caretaker going, what's going on here? And there was a big investigation. And they asked me, I said, Ryan, you went to the loop. Was it, what, 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 what was it like when you went? Oh, it was fine when I went. <laughs> it's a problem at all. And I never said a word. A week earlier, I'd been playing like a bouncy ball game with my friend. And he bounced this ball. And it was his ball. And he bounced over a wall. And it smashed a window. And we just walked off. We never said a word. But what I noticed was, a lot of people think, oh, you got away with that. But I noticed something. I had a good relationship with the, with the caretaker of the school. And he used to let me help out in his tool shed. But since then, after that, he said, oh, no, I'm not. No, no, no I'm going to pick somebody else. And other people got picked for that. He was a friend with my scout leader. And our scouts would meet in the school. And he said, oh, that guy, he's a vandal. Call me a vandal. I was just a curious boy. And I, I noticed that at Scouts, that my relationship with a Scout leader didn't play out. I noticed something about myself that I became a little bit more closed. I noticed over the next few weeks that I was really liked school and happy-go-lucky at school and loved going to school and was in on everything and joining every club and all of this. And I was that type of person. But I noticed for the next weeks and a few months, I didn't like going to school because I thought they're going to find out, they're going to find out, they're going to find out. And so lots of people said, oh, you got away with that. But I don't think I got away with it at all. This passage shows me three things. Contrasts, conditions, and consequences that I've experienced in my life. But this passage shows. And if we're going to get back to our baseline, we have to understand that the Bible often lifts up some contrasts. Some things are light. Some things are dark. Let's establish what's light. Let's establish what's dark. What we try and do always in our Western culture is always look for the gray. Always look for the exception. Always look for the reason why. Some things are light. Some things are dark. Can I hear an amen? amen. Some things are good. Some things are of God. And some things are not. And you can say the reason why you did that. But they are dark and they are light. This passage always lifts up. There are contrasts. We don't like living in contrasts. We love to live in the gray. 
The second thing that this passage shows up, it says that things are often conditional. Do you see in this passage, there are six ifs that, that say that things aren't automatic. We want life to be automatic. But if you meet the conditions, things will happen. But there's an if there. Somebody said that if is the longest word in the English language. But if you don't, then they won't happen. As a pastor, I have often been with people who had a prophecy in their 20s or something. And it, and it was a conditional prophecy and it's never come true. And they live in the, in the kind of unfulfilled regret of that. Instead of understanding you should have fulfilled the conditions and then it would have come true. But if you definitely fulfill the conditions, then it definitely will happen. Listen to some of the conditions. But if we walk in the light as he is the light, we will have fellowship. But if we claim to have fellowship and yet walk in darkness, we lie. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. You're not in deception if you're not saying you haven't got any sin. If we claim that we've not sinned, we make him out to be a sinner. But listen to this one. But if anyone does sin, you don't have to sin. But if you do, we've got an advocate with the Father. There are some conditions to your life. And I want to ask you as a believer, are you kind of complaining at God, thinking, I wonder if this, why this isn't working out, but you're not fulfilling some of the ifs over your life, some of the conditions that God has brought to you. I notice in this passage, as well as a contrast and well of conditions, there are also consequences. That things, if you go in a certain direction, results will happen. Things happen. And one of our things about our culture is we always want to be the exception. Let me give you just five, possibly six quick ideas of how to stay true to our baseline and how to stick to that. And then I want to ask you to renew that commitment to the baseline. Number one, firstly, we stick to our baseline to understand that truth is something we do, not just something we claim. The Bible says if we, have, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we do not live out the truth. You can say you have truth, but actually in the Greek here, it means we do truth. You have to do it. Nike, just do it. You don't just say truth, you do it. Number two. You stick to your baseline by understanding that our level of fellowship one with another is often mirrored in our fellowship with God. In fact, the Bible says, and John, John says here, he says, if you claim to walk in the light as he is in the light, we have wet fellowship one with another. You know, I meet so many people who often say to me, oh, I'm all right with God. I just don't like the church. I'm all right with God, I just, I just struggle with his people. The Bible says that's impossible. That if you claim that you're walking in the light, the result of that is that you will have fellowship one with another. 
And you know, BCC is one of those city churches that grows and, and churns around a little bit. Of course it will do. And I've had people say to me about BCC here, oh, there's lots of new people who I don't know. Well, that's your opportunity to have fellowship with new people who have new gifts that you can bless them with your gifts and they can bless you with their gifts. That's God's journey for you to bring you into fellowship. So look, if you claim that you're walking in the light, you won't want to draw away from fellowship. You will actually say to yourself, no, I need to get connected. I need to make some friends. And it's difficult to make friends in church. Of course it is. But you need to start off with ones and twos, and then fours and fives, and eventually you'll know 20 and 30 people. If you claim to say, no, I'm all right with God, but you are at your comfortable fellowship level where you are only getting to know a few people now and again. Now, I understand that people have different personalities and this happens differently for different people. But I'm just wondering if you're making a claim about your relationship with God and your fellowship with others actually belies the fact that your relationship with God isn't that close either. That actually... You haven't got much time for other people because you're focused on yourself and therefore you're not focused on giving time for God either. Thirdly, to stick to our baseline that God is light and to keep your faith on track, you need to understand that you're always going to have to, can I say, shepherd, nurture, take care of, pastor your inner self, your inner nature. Verse 8 says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And we, we do have the victory over sin. And, and we can overcome some of the things that have beset us. But we have to be vigilant. You can't let anything have a foothold in your life. You can't think, oh, I'm, I'm just such a great Christian now. Nothing's ever going to bother me. There was one guy that once said to a famous preacher called Charles Spurgeon, Oh, I'm beyond that now. I, I, I've broken through into uh, complete freedom so that I never, ever will sin again. Well, uh, he invited him around his house and, and for a meal. And in the middle of the meal, as they were eating the meal, he got a glass of water and he threw it in his face. And the man was shocked. He said, what are you doing? He got angry. And he says, ah... I see that your old man had just fainted and I've revived him with a glass of water. What I'm saying to you is, of course you're going to get better and you're going to overcome some things. But can we just have a reality check here? Can we pastor our hearts and say, I'm not doing that because that might affect me? If we keep claiming that things don't affect us, then we're being naive. If you want to stick to your baseline belief, another thing that we have to be aware of is that we don't re redefine what's wrong. In fact, the scripture here says, if we claim we've not sinned, if we say, oh, it wasn't sin, it was something else. I, those of you at work, have you ever heard this? Oh, I'm not stealing. This is one of the perks of the job. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever heard, oh, the boss won't mind? Well, if he doesn't mind, why haven't you asked him? Let's not redefine what's right and what's wrong. Let's, let's kind of use a baseline to say, well, if this could be wrong, then I'm just going to make sure I don't do it. 
Some people say, I'm standing up for my rights. But actually, they're really just being selfish. Because we're called to serve and to love people. Let's stick to our baseline by not redefining what is right and wrong. Now, I know that things need a context. And I know that we have to understand sometimes the background of why somebody behaves sometimes. I, I understand that. In my own case, you know, there'd be some parents who'd be saying, oh, he was just a curious boy. It wasn't being a vandal. Oh, if you didn't know, if he's just being like a kind of geeky, how does this work? And it just went wrong. It wasn't really meaning anything wrong. And that's fine. In fact, when I was training to be a school teacher, I can't tell you, and if there are any teachers in the house, I'm sure that you resonate with this. How many teachers hear this from parents? Oh, those are the rules for everybody else, but because of this, this is why my child has to be different. And I get context. There's a reason why you've been grouchy sometimes. You're upset, you're hurt. I get it. We all get it. But it's, un but it's important for us to just admit the part that needs admitting. And parents, I'd say that to you as parents. Don't always, don't be harsh with your children. Always be understanding. But teach them to admit the part that needs admitting. What I should have done at school is say, I was just being curious, I am really sorry, forgive me. And I know I would have had the cane and the slipper, I know all about that. By the way, in my age group, the cane was a stick that they beat you with and a slipper was an old shoe that the teacher didn't need anymore so he used it to hit you with. Sorry. All of that would have happened, but it would have been over. I'm not advocating that, by the way. Let's just admit what needs admitting. Walking in the light. You know, we keep a baseline belief by just bringing things into the light and... Jesus and John says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sin. If you bring it into the light, if you, if you be continually open to what Jesus can do, if we stop denying, then that focus and that baseline can come back. And when I say and when pastors say, let's bring things into the light... It can often feel daunting as if we're going to get exposed or uh, put on the spot or something. But what if I told you that that light was just infused with pure love for you? That God knows what you're doing. He knows who you are. He knows the attitudes and he loves you. And he's just waiting for you to say, you know what, God, this is me. Help me, heal me. He loves you. Father will heal you and change you. You see, that phrase, walking in the light, this is what it means. It means slowly opening yourself up to more of the revelation of Jesus. It, walking in the light means show me something more about you, God. We heard over the conference that God walks, uh, God's pace is walking. That he, as he walks with you, he will gradually show you that little bit more that you need to know. Exposing yourself to the light isn't a painful thing. It's a healing thing. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. And I'm just going to ask you just to focus just for a few moments. But I would say to you, 
that we all need to be continually pastored, shepherd. We need, we need to be pastored by each other. I'm not the only pastor in this place. You are. We need to shepherd each other and care for each other. But you know what John says? That if we do have something in our lives, we have an advocate with the Father who speaks for us. And that word advocate is used about the Holy Spirit, but it's also here, it's used about Jesus. And it means someone called alongside you to help you. Some people think it means like a lawyer, but it doesn't mean that in the scripture as much. It means actually a friend who comes alongside and says, can we talk about this? Can I show you the light? That's who Jesus is to you. He's an advocate who wants to come alongside and help. And some people, when they describe this verse, we have an advocate with the Father who speaks for us. He's become the atoning sacrifice for us. They preach it as if God is looking at the Father saying, Oh, Father, understand that their money was tight this, this month and that's why they're feeling low. And Oh, understand all the extenuating circumstances around, around their lives. He's not saying that. When God advocates for you, this is what he says. Father, look at my cross. Look at what I've done. Look at my perfect sacrifice. Look at what I've paid. I want to tell you, I want to remind you, Father, what I've done for them. Now pour out your blessings on them. You see, God did so much for us in the cross. But he doesn't just plead circumstances. So, uh, Father, forgive them because they had a rough day. He says, Father, forgive them because look at what I've done. Father, there's hope for them because look what I did. And I want you to see that right now. Would you just please stand to your feet with me? And just for a moment, would you imagine that you're standing in front of the cross? If you're here as the guest, if you could imagine that you're standing in front of the most lovely person in the world and, and that person just loves you and his eyes are beaming on you. God became our sin offering so it's like a door that opens so that you can go back to the God who's light. In fact, another apostle, Peter, who messed up loads of times, he says this, For Christ also suffered once for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Are there some foundational things that you need to come back to that you let go? Was it that you used to say, I love God and I love his church and his people, but now I kind of, I'm okay with God and I, and I hate the church. Do you need to come back? You know, James and Andrea earlier said they went on a mission trip and they, they heard God say, I, I, we need to go to unreached peoples. Is there something that God's saying to you and you're, you're putting it on the back burner? Do you need to come back to that? 
Are there some baselines that you've left that you need to return to? And I'm saying this not to actually make you all somber, but actually, you know when you welcome your kids home? Or even when they've done something wrong and you sort it out and that the atmosphere changes, the atmosphere on your life can change if you come back and say, God, you're my light. I receive you as my illumination, as my direction giver. In fact, would you hold your hands out just in front of you right now? Thank you for joining in. And would you just say, God, will you please direct my life? I give you permission to direct everything about my life. Don't hide behind anything right now. If you're not able to hold your hands out, do it from your heart. But don't hide. Bring your life to the light and say, God, I give you permission to lead me. And let's get God back in the center. Are there some baselines that you need to decide before God? It's time to come back into the light. Are there some things that you've, you need to just stop doing? I want to say this to you. Jesus endured the darkest hour so that you could enjoy God's brightest day. In fact, we won't do this often. But would you turn to your neighbor and say that? Turn to somebody and say, Jesus endured the darkest hour. Just turn to somebody and say that. So that you could enjoy God's brightest day. And just place your hand on their shoulder right now. And say, let him be your light. Walk in the light. That means just continually open yourself up to that bit more of Jesus that you need. God is light. And in him there's no darkness at all. Holy Spirit, right now, would you share your light on married couples, on single people, on fathers and mothers? Walk in the light as He is in the light. Holy Spirit, just keep your hand out in front of you and just say, Come direct me, Lord. Is there anything that needs to change? We're going to sing a song right now. And it's a prayer set to music. And then I'm going to come and ask if anyone wants to receive the light of Jesus. Thank you, Pastor Kevin.